Just a quick heads up, this show contains sensitive and graphic material that might not be for everyone. If you don't enjoy in-depth true crime, humor about true crime, and drinking, please don't continue. We want to be respectful of the victims in these crimes, but as for the criminals, we just don't give a shit. Welcome to Crimes and Cocktails, a podcast where we explore true crime while drinking a customized cocktail created by Tabitha and Katie. Hey guys, it's Tabitha. And I'm Katie. We made it. We've officially been a podcast for one year. Yes, happy birthday to us. Woo-hoo! So we turned one. We turned um, one this year old. Yes, a little baby. So, oh, thank you, everyone. We only have ten episodes. Feels like it's like Oh, thank you for sticking with us from the start. Like, I know it was rough at the beginning. (laughs) Well, last Um, week was rough too. The the beginning, the middle. (laughs) No. It's been rough. It's been rough every. This is how we start out every. Welcome to it's been rough. A true crime podcast <laughs> with struggling Tabitha and Katie. Wow. Welcome to Crimes and Failures. Yes. <laughs> Changing our name. Every episode, every episode, we just, just can't be our tagline. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to apologize anymore. You know, this is why we drink. <laughs> if you can't handle me at my echoing, you don't deserve me at my phone call. <laughs> Literally, I need to post a picture. I literally was holding my cell phone to my microphone for Katie to record last week. So hopefully my mic's fixed this week. It's working. Um, I mean, it sounds good. So My mic's working. Your mic's working. Yeah. Our headphones are working. Knock on It's a one-year anniversary miracle. It's a one-year anniversary. Yes. Woo-hoo. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, welcome to our new listeners. Um, we're very thankful for all of you and, um, yeah, because of our issues, <laughs> why are you here? Please. But, um, <laughs> this is the abusive relationship you never want to leave. <laughs> I know. Seriously. That's what it's like. You keep coming back for more. Yeah. Uh, but at least you have good taste. So, um, you know, keep coming back. <laughs> Thank you, friends. Yeah. And some, we keep talking about exciting news and everything so we are opening a crimes and cocktails swag shop um so our it's gonna open tomorrow october 1st and we're just gonna start with just a couple things so you know our patreon listeners a lot of them have gotten t-shirts and bags and things like that um but this way, anyone can wear some of our swag. So we'll have a handbag, a tote bag in there, some t-shirts and stuff. So get ready to check that out. And right now we're just going to be doing pre-orders because uh, that's just going to be probably the best way for us. Um, so you'll just order, get your pre-order in. And the first five pre-orders, I'm going to throw in something extra in your order. So boop, boop. <laughs> be sure to do that. It's a knife. I'm it's going to, oh my gosh. <laughs> It's going to be at, I, I don't even know why I'm going to say www. That's so outdated. <laughs> at crimesandcocktails.bigcartel.com. It's also the top link in our link tree on our Instagram or our Twitter. So be sure to check that out. And then we've also decided to celebrate our birthday. We're going to do a giveaway on our Instagram. So keep your eyes peeled for that. We'll be posting that in the next couple of days here with some, mm-hmm. some goodies for y'all. And again, yeah, just want to say thank you guys so much for all of our patrons, our fans, followers, listeners, all the feedback. Shout out to the haters, too, because you're still (laughs) listening. You're still listening. (laughs) And speaking of haters and lovers, be sure to give us a five-star review on Apple if you are listening on Apple or iTunes, whatever you call it. I don't know. Is it Apple Podcasts? iTunes? I think it's Apple Podcasts. You can tell that I'm obviously an Android user. (laughs) I know. 
Um, the, what is it? The Macintosh? <laughs> Mac? <laughs> is it Mac? <laughs> Whatever the iPod one. <laughs> yes. Leave us a review. If you're listening on Spotify, then hit the subscribe. But um, the best free way you can help us is leaving us a five-star review. And if you leave us a one-star review, you can go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I was listening to another podcast where he basically was just like, leave us a five-star review. And if you don't, then fuck yourself. And I was telling Katie, I was like, oh, that's not bad when we say it then. (laughs) I feel like I say that a lot. I don't know. But I, it's like we just need to get more aggressive. It's like the people that leave one star reviews on Yelp at a restaurant. Like they went so out of their way to do mm-hmm. that. And I remember when we were servers, our managers were always like, "You get good shifts if you get a five star review this week." And I'm like, "No one does that. No one has a fantastic <laughs> meal." And it's like, you know what? The first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna leave them a five star review on Yelp. No, when they have a, fan- a terrible meal, they're like, "I'm gonna leave you a one star on Yelp." And Really when hard, I was working man. at the bar, I had to cut off these really drunk people, and they were super pissed. And I was like, I'm sorry. Like, this is my job. Like, I have to cut you off. And <laughs> they, you're were, racist. they were, like, yelling at me, and they were calling me a bitch. And I was just like, that's fine, whatever. And I was getting mags, and then they were just like, this is not how a restaurant works. And I'm like, I have been working in restaurants and bars since I was, like, fucking 16 years old. Do not tell me how a restaurant works. And then they're like, we're going to leave you a one-star review on Yelp. I'm going to go ahead make sure you spell my name right, K-A-I-T-Y. And then some people at the bar were just like, shit, because they could tell I was just pissed. I was all, if you're going to leave a bad review, get it right at least. <laughs> so mad. So the next morning, like, I had to tell my manager, and I was like, uh, just so you know, I like, blew up on a customer. <laughs> Yeah, at least the pop bar, it was okay for that. I feel like when I worked at BJ's, it was like... Yeah, it wasn't a corporate bar, so yeah. like I was able to get away with quite a bit. Yes. <laughs> Stupid. Yeah, also, but I was just like, oh God. I do not miss the industry, but sometimes I do. Sometimes I miss just the money and the freedom and the, the fact that I could go and get completely trashed after my shift and no one judged me. <laughs> I just loved, like, because I would be flat broke, and then I could pick up a shift, and then I would, you know, suddenly have a whole bunch of money. Yes, and yes. So, like, if I'm, like, I'm going out of town, yeah. I need some extra money, let me pick up some shifts. By the way, guys, just want to apologize. I live right next to an airport, and apparently the planes are active right now, so if you hear <laughs> in the background, that's what that is, so. <laughs> but anyways, thank you guys, and for your five-star reviews, Thank you guys, especially, too, so. Yep. So, um, you know, to commemorate our one year, we decided to do one of those big league killers, uh, the long-awaited Ed Kemper. Um, If, you know, if I remember correctly, we were actually talking about Ed Kemper on Mindhunters, and that's when we were kind of talking about, like, oh, we should do a podcast. Um, It's kind of weird. Thanks, Ed. How much I bring (laughs) up Ed Kemper in conversations. (laughs) I know. Okay, it feels weird to say I have a favorite serial killer because, <laughs> like, I shouldn't, but it's Ed Kemper. I don't know. Yeah. And I it's... don't know what it is about him. I don't, I'm not, like, one of those freaks who's like, oh, my gosh, I love him so much. Like, have you seen him? But, like, <laughs> it's just, I, I don't know what it is. The it's not just, so gentle he's just, giant. <laughs> he's very interesting. And yeah. I think this is also because he's one of the most open serial killers. And so he's just That's provided so much intel into a serial killer's mind, which the FBI has used. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But yeah. um, there's just so much information about him out there. He's also local to us. Um, shout out. <laughs> Shout out to Santa Claus. Yeah, no. I actually was kind of asking. I wanted to ask my mom about that. Like, were you guys terrified when this was going on? Because I'm sure they were. Um, And we'll get into that, too. But if you guys don't know who Ed Kemper is, he is a convicted, what I like to call one of the big three serial killers, who murdered 10 people between 1964 and 1973. And when I say the big three, I mean cannibalism, serial rapist, and necrophilia so yeah he kind of dabbled a little bit in everything (laughs) um which is probably why he's also super interesting he's also known as the co-ed killer get it (laughs) co-ed 
<laughs> what did I say that we that documentary that should be letter better off Ed? Better off <laughs> Ed. Oh my gosh. Better off Ed. Yeah. This guy is also he's kind of terrifying to me. Like uh the Golden State Killer is another serial killer that he was our first one we did, if you guys remember. Uh who honestly gave me nightmares a little bit. Like going into like deep diving into that oh yeah but ed kemper is also terrifying terrifying he is six foot nine first of all and he's like 300 pounds or i don't know what he is now he's probably even bigger now but yeah probably he's super intelligent his iq is 145 uh he's definitely got to be one of the top three most terrifying murders that we've ever covered so far on this yeah there's some nasty shit we're gonna to be talking yeah so if you have a weak stomach i'm just gonna let you know that this episode and the next two or three episodes i don't know if this is gonna be a one or two parter i mean a two or three parter but this is not for the faint of heart for sure this episode isn't too bad it's not too bad i mean there's still some stuff with animals yeah. but um, but definitely the next the episode. next one is yeah. uh <laughs> maybe not a work friendly <laughs> podcast <laughs> new <No. laughs> honestly like i've been listening I don't think any of them are <laughs> no probably not but especially not this one i was listening to a yeah. podcast by someone else on ed kemper like last week and I was going through a drive-thru and I went up to Starbucks and tried to like turn the volume down because I'm like, the last thing I need them to hear is <laughs> And then oh, he God. fucked her he head. Decapitated her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I okay, I listen to true crime podcasts literally probably every single day. And um <laughs> It's honestly no been replacing my music for the most part, which is and it, really yeah. weird for me because like, I, I need to relax and this is not the way. Yeah, <laughs> I love music. I'm you know, play music and everything like that. But lately I noticed, I'm like, I feel like I listen to more podcasts than I do music as of late. Yeah, I do. I definitely do. And when I go through and get my morning Starbucks, you know, it's like 7.45 in the morning. (laughs) And they're like, her legs were cut off. I was like, I'm just like, I'm just going to turn that down. (laughs) Just for a minute. Yeah, I was listening to one on John Bonet today and they were talking about, you know, her death and everything like that and I was just like uh I'm like in stop and go traffic and I'm like I wonder if like other cars can hear me actually this is pretty funny I was on the highway and I have one of those bluetooth uh things for my car because my car is Mm -hmm. old and only has a cd player and uh it kept the someone else must have a bluetooth one like I think it was the car in front of me and so oh, okay. all of a sudden their music was coming on on my speaker Uh-oh. and I was freaking out because I'm like, I wonder if my stuff's coming in on this. Oh my God. And it was like oh a family God. vehicle with like the stickers on the back. And I'm just right, like, her nude uh, strangled body yeah. was found washed up on the shore. So I stopped and put like music on because I was like, dude, I don't know if this is going into someone else's signal right now or not. They're all, who, what sick fuck is out here? <laughs> There are children. Just to sing to my tunes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Well, <laughs> so during the years that Ed was active, um, Santa Cruz was known as the murder capital of the world. Um, so he was killing college girls. And then at the same time, serial killer Herbert Mullen killed 13 people between 1972 and 1973. And then in 1970, John Lindley Fraser killed five people. Uh, so, you know, it was not the safest place to be in the 70s. Um, yeah, I'm really curious about what your mom thinks. And I'm actually like, my uh, grandpa's family is in Davenport, which was right next to Santa yeah. Cruz. I'm going to ask my mom if like she was definitely in the area around then. There's and only see. one thing I can't stomach about Santa Carla. It's all the goddamn <laughs> the <damn> vampires. vampires. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen The Lost Boys? That was made in the yeah, 80s. Yeah, so there were vampires, too. Yeah, coming definitely, shortly after. Definitely. No, uh, the, the Lost Boys, best epic My movie God. ever. But it's based, it's based in Santa Cruz, but they change it to Santa Carla, and they call it murder capital of the world, and that's because yeah. literally the 70s, Santa Cruz was the myrtle. Murder. Myrtle? <laughs> murder capital <laughs> of the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so at this time, Santa Cruz was going through, like, a metamorphosis, because before then, like, places like Davenport and stuff, or Aptos, 
Santa Cruz was always this like quiet, sleepy, small beach town, just surfers and um, farming. And then there's a military base actually in Monterey area, and they would host big military dances out there at the boardwalk. And it was, you know, a little bit of a touristy spot, but nothing like what it, well, what it is now is different too. But uh, now it's just a bunch of damn hippies. <laughs> In 1964, UC Santa Cruz was established, and by 1970, all the UCs in California were accepting women to go. So by the early 1970s, Santa Cruz is full-on what they call co-ed college town. I don't know why co-ed is the term for a woman in college. It's just... I'm not sure. I don't know. But that's what that means. So when he when they refer to him as the co-ed killer, that's what they're referring to because he specialized, I guess you could say, in killing college women, students. So at this time in Santa Cruz, it's turning into that fun college town, which is what it is now. Like now it is literally, it's a college town. And I love Santa Cruz. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong, but it is like the hippie surf, like, Homeless. Homeless, yeah, population. Just <laughs> yeah, really sad. what it is, I mean. Yeah. And that's what it was at this time, too. I mean, it was it was coming out of the 60s. You have the hippie free love movement going on and just... But then after all these serial killers decided to come out of Santa Cruz woodworks and stuff like that, it kind of went down a different route, I would say. Um, so... Santa Cruz is one of those places that I love and I'll always love, but there's definitely like a lot of issues there, especially with drug use. And I'm not going back until that Santa Cruz slasher is found. <laughs> oh yeah, and then oh, they God. have a well. He's not a serial killer. I think he's only slashed one person so far. Oh, okay, that's good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's good. Just one person. It was honestly probably someone fighting over drugs. Let's be honest. But uh, yeah, there's a Santa Cruz slasher out there right now. So do you remember? <laughs> That one time when that friend of ours. Oh, I know you're talking about. And they borrowed my phone. Wanting to use the phone. Yeah. Then she was suddenly like, oh, well, you can't use my phone. Yeah. I have met a lot of interesting people in Santa Cruz. I've had a lot of amazing times in Santa Cruz. And if you're listening from Santa Cruz, don't get me wrong. I love Santa Cruz. I would totally move to Santa Cruz or like Aptos area. I love it so much. But you do got to have some street smarts to live there. Um yeah. Because, like most of California, the homeless population is insane. Insane. Like, way out of control, especially in the last year. It's really heartbreaking, actually, to see. Um, but also, drugs. The war on drugs, y'all. But, uh, anyways. It's really sad. Yeah. Let's dive into this. <laughs> so, our <laughs> cocktail for tonight's episode is not really a cocktail, but a drink of choice, I could say. Because Ed was a drinker, and his drink of choice was uh, either tequila or mezcal. He would just drink straight, neat shots of it. Not watered down, no salt, no chaser. That's what he would do. And then he'd have a PBR or whatever beer. I don't think it was actually PBR. Simple man. Simple man. (laughs) He was a simple man. And he would drink, actually, at the local bar that still exists in down... Well, not in downtown Santa Cruz. It's on Ocean Avenue. It's called the Jury Room. I'm actually wearing my Jury Room t-shirt right now. (laughs) So... To get into the... Get into the (laughs) festivities. (laughs) So, Yeah. Oh, We're going to drink some. I'm drinking tequila because I don't have mezcal because I'm poor right now. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, rent is due, so. <laughs> I have, like, the cheapest tequila from Trader Joe's. That is the possible. best. And that is exactly what you'll get at the jury room, by the way. Last yes. time I went to jury room was before things were, like, fully open in California. So everything had to be outside. And it it was literally, like, Christmas lights strung up on some back parking lot with, like, crusty folding tables and like chairs that don't match and they brought it out in like red solo cups and I was like this is perfect this is exactly what I needed right now and then I met a guy who liked the Muppets and we bonded and we like got really drunk together singing Muppet Treasure Island songs so shout out he to was that also guy. really tall like Ed Kemper freakishly tall too mm. so I don't know <laughs> it was Ed Kemper's ghost no yeah he's still alive but so cheers guys i'm gonna take my shot and hopefully it'll help my 
itchy sore throat. <laughs> yeah, um, we're both may or may not be sick. So. It's not COVID. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. Yeah. So if um, we sound a little weird or like congested or anything like that, um, that would be why. Um, all right. Well, now that we have our tequila, now that we have our tequila, R, we're going to get started. <laughs> tequila. Um, is that our fattenings? <laughs> <laughs> All right, now that we're 45 minutes into the intro. Uh, I know, I need to shut up and start talking about this stuff for why you're here. On to Ed Kemper. Yes. Um, so he was born Edmund Emil Kemper III on December 18th, 1948, to parents Edmund Emil Jr. and Clarnell in Burbank, California. Clarnell. Clarnell. Sorry, I was just clearing my throat. Clarnell. <laughs> <laughs> um E.E. E. Jr., um, who was the father, was a World War II vet who, after the war, tested nuclear weapons, um, but later settled down into being a, an electrician. His wife, apparently, would routinely shit on him for his menial job as an electrician. Um, apparently, working on nu- nuclear weapons was a manlier, prof- manlier profession, <laughs> in her opinion, and she badgered his manhood constantly, um, something that she would carry on to Ed as she raised him, which <laughs> electrician is a good job. I know. It's a stable <laughs> job. And he's not going to blow his yeah. face off doing it. Like, yeah, or like get cancer. Don't you so. want your man to like be around to support you, woman? <laughs> yeah. I just picture her Jeez. being like Costanza's mom in Steinfeld. <laughs> I imagine her <laughs> perpetually in hair rollers and a robe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Smoking Clarno. a cigarette or something. Well, she was an alcoholic, so. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Ed was the only boy and the middle child. Um, when he was nine years old, his parents divorced. And Ed and his two sisters moved with their mother um, to Helena, Montana in I thought it said Hannah, Montana at first. And I was like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Miley Cyrus was there. It was great. So, um it's about this time that his mother started to be more aggressive with her abuse towards Ed. At age 10, Ed was already over five feet tall and was showing no signs of slowing down. God. Uh, Clarnell made Ed sleep down in the basement where she would lock him up at night. She claimed it was to protect her daughters in case he decided to hurt them in their sleep. Yeah, she was like um, scared that he was going to like come up and rape, rape them. Yeah. Which is what um, every mom fears, right? <laughs> I think I was already five foot tall or already over five feet tall at age 10 too, but I, I slowed down. I was too. I actually, so I'm 5'10 now and I've, mm-hmm. I, by the time I was in sixth grade, I think I was like five, five, five or something like that. Like I was I pretty was tall. Five, I was five, six by the time I was in sixth grade. And so the doctors thought I was going to be super tall, but I'm only yeah. five, eight. But we're also so, girls and girls yeah. grow faster than boys. We shoot up. I remember I hated it because like I would stand up and people were like, oh my God, she's so tall. Yeah. Because I was like, I 11. had uh, growing pains. <laughs> I would have to take Tylenol at night. My mom would give it to me and I have stretch marks, like thin little stretch marks from growing too mm-hmm. fast. Um, yep. I remember being like a little kid and I was too scared to go on like the big kid rides and my grandma would be like, dude, she's only like five years old. And they'd be like, yeah, right. <laughs> Why, she's six or like you try to get the kids meal, right? like the eat yeah. for free. And they're like, really, how old is she? Yep. And I'm just like, uh, the doctors, um, they predicted when I was like a baby that I was going to be like six, two. I'm so glad I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard enough. Not being able to wear like heels. Hey boy, time, hey. You can. <laughs> hey little man. Um, so, Clarnell was a heavy drinker, and psychiatrists believe she had a severe personality disorder. She had been married three times, and instead of acknowledging her own issues, she often blamed anything bad in her life on Ed. Um, and so as her abuse increased, so did Ed's hatred of her, which checks out. Yeah, so. I mean. Yeah. If you think your kid's going to rape you, first of all, I don't think locking them up like a monster in the basement yeah. is the best approach for that. And yeah, if you like do think, I mean, there was a lot of articles talking about how she just knew something was off with Ed. And it's like, that's not how you deal with it. You take them to therapy. That's how you deal with it. So Yeah, and figure it out. In some ways, I, when I was putting the research and everything on this, like my empathetic side of me was like, oh, Poor little Ed, like, if only he had been loved and blah, blah, blah. Well, then you wonder, too, like, 
was it a self-fulfilling prophecy? She thought something was wrong right. with him, and so her treatment created that? Or was he really something wrong with him, and she can sense it? So, I, think I mean, we're never going to know. It's but a little bit I'm of sure, both, probably. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah, he, I'm sure he did have problems, but then the rejection and the abuse amplified that. Yeah, and I think if your kid is showing issues like that, I mean, definitely take them to therapy, like, right away. And sometimes... It's sad to say this, but sometimes being in a facility is the best situation for them. Yeah, especially if there's other kids involved and you're worried that something's going to happen to them. Yeah, because there are kids... Put the kid who's the issue in some sort of care facility and visit them and... Yeah, don't like, you know, never visit them, but you show them (laughs) you love them and you, you put them in something where they have a routine and they have a way to take pride in their work or something like that. And it makes yeah, us seem like themselves a sad life, others. but <laughs> sometimes that's where they're the most happy because they don't fit in normal social settings and they're yeah, very unhappy. I'm sure he would have so. been happier in that than locked in a basement. Yeah. So. And we'll see this later on too, that he did actually thrive being in prison. So, or jail, I should say. Um, yeah. So as a child, Ed had a lot of, I mean, his thoughts went to dark places pretty quick, which is also something where I'm like, where do kids pick up on this stuff from? You know, like they don't just, they don't just yeah, come up with this shit they on their make own. It up? Like yeah. one of the games he would play was called Gas Chamber. Now, if you remember, his dad was a World War II vet, so I'm sure there was talk of things going on with Nazis and blah, blah, blah. So... You also got to think about what are you exposing your children to? Um, but he would play this game where he would have his sister tie him up and pretend to flip a switch, like for the gas to come on and leave the room where he would pretend to fall asleep on the floor and suffocate to death. And he would also play games where he would tie his sisters up and see how long it would take them to get out and if they could. So... You know. That was my favorite game growing up. Fun, happy games. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my brothers would play orphans a lot. And <laughs> I don't know what that says about. <laughs> Isn't it sad that our parents are dead? You're probably <laughs> So my aunt, she had like a walnut tree and she brought mm-hmm. this giant bag of walnuts. And me and my brothers would pretend like we were orphaned and all we had in the world to survive on was walnuts. Okay, I was just talking with this about this with a friend because when I was a kid, I would eat like oatmeal and it would be my porridge, and I would always <laughs> my brothers and I would like, want all want this little wooden spoon that we had, and I would like eat it with a wooden spoon and pretend like I was a medieval peasant. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Yeah, we would play the games like that a lot. So I don't know. Kids are weird, anyways. <laughs> don't make them weirder by telling them about. Nazis and gas Gas chambers chambers and shit. Jeez. Um, But you can imagine, I mean, if he's tying his sister up like this, this it's already kind of weird. And just kind of practice, literally, to see, like, hey, what tied up position can I put them in and see how fast they get out. Um, It's at age 10 that Ed would actually start to physically act out some of his dark fantasies. So this is this is the gruesome double shotter part of our episode today. Uh, he buried the family cat alive at 10 years old, and then he dug it out cover about a week later. Rochester. What was that? I said, cover your ears, Rochester. Oh, no. He's sitting next to me. <laughs> uh, he dug cat. the cat out about a week later and decapitated it and then put the cat's head on a stick where he kept it in his bedroom just to see what it looked like on a stick. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. No. And I and I think his mom found this, and somehow he was able to like. Oh, I was just curious what it looked like on a stick. And at this, oh, point, I just found that in the yard. <laughs> yeah, I just found that there. Another thing that he would do around this time frame is he would also decapitate his sister's dolls and cut off their hands. So, kind of reminds me of Sid a little bit from a uh, Toy Story. There, I don't know. Kind of. Kind of, Sid definitely grew up to be a serial killer, I think. I know. I So, in the later movies, they have him being, like, a trash man. And I was like, that's perfect for a serial killer because he picks up his own trash. (laughs) Toy Story's really, like, that way. (laughs) Exposing one of their own. (laughs) Yeah. Um, By age 13, Ed was now six foot four. Okay. I just realized that we made a typo earlier. Uh, 
when I said Ed was over five feet tall, he was actually over six feet tall. So, so we weren't freaks. No. Um. I was like, man, I was over five feet tall. Yeah, so I'm just dumb and made a typo. Sorry. That's why he was so intimidating as a 10-year-old because he yeah. was like six feet tall. So that's yeah. pretty fucking insane, actually. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'd be scared of him. That is scary. Jeez, I'd be like, I don't know what this is. Yeah, 13 years old, six foot four, going through puberty. That's, that's kind of terrifying. Okay, I kind of see why she thought he was going to rape her. <laughs> Um, I can see why she locked him in the basement, though. I was kidding. (laughs) Just imagine, like, young Frankenstein. Like, he's got an enormous scrotus on. (laughs) Anyways. Oh, my gosh. Uh, So he had a crush on his school teacher around this time frame, and one of his sisters would tease him about it. Like, oh, are you going to kiss your teacher? Blah, blah, blah. Which is a weird thing to say anyways. Yeah. Weird. (laughs) But apparently, this and she testified this in court later, um, he calmly replied, if I kiss her, I'd have to kill her first. So yeah, if that comes out of my <laughs> six foot four, 13 year old boy, I'd be like, uh, uh, Mom. take another uh, kickback some more tequila. <laughs> yeah. He's still smoking a cigar. Like, oh my God. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was also around this age, so this is a couple years later, that Ed killed another family cat. And I don't know if the two are correlated to the being this sister, but apparently he killed this cat because this cat chose his sister over him and rejected his affections, which, dude, that's just what cats do. Like, my cat rejects me all the time, so. Yeah. Come here, Leon. Yep. She's like, nope, you. nothing. <laughs> All the time, so you just need to deal with that. Which is actually, I did hear somewhere that it's pretty rare for serial killers to kill dogs, but they usually kill cats, and a theory about that is because cats are kind of, they kind of just reject you, and they're also feminine, and... Yeah, cats are just, I think cats are more like people. (laughs) You would say that. (laughs) I love kitties. Dogs are just like... You know, they love pretty much everybody, and they love you no matter what you do. And, and cats, they have feelings. They have boundaries. Like, they're going to tell you what's what. Yeah. <laughs> so, they remember things. <laughs> yeah. They take revenge. <laughs> like, I yeah. saw, like, a meme where it was, like, me telling my dog, oh, I killed someone. The dog's like, oh, okay. And then you tell the cat, I killed someone. The cat's like, it's okay, I did too. <laughs> like, oh Probably. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past that. Yeah. So this one is, um, this one's pretty brutal. So when he killed this cat, he didn't, the last one he buried alive. This one he decided to basically torture. Uh, he cut off the top of the cat's head, exposing the cat's brains, and then proceeded to play around with the body. Um, he cut the cat into several pieces. Some of them he tossed and some of them he kept. And he kept them in his closet. And his mother later discovered these when she could smell it coming from his room. And again, all what does Ed do? He says, I was just curious, you know, and this mom still does not put him in a mental hospital. So, (laughs) yeah, this is like where I'm just like, you fucked up so bad on parenting. Like, so, so bad. I mean, the locking your kid in the basement was definitely uh, a big issue, but... To see that you're, if your child even is like, I don't know, doing any kind of harm to animals, that's when you like, for sure, for sure, immediately call the psychologist, like right away. Yeah, that's not curiosity. That's, you're insane. So, Mm -mm. yeah. All right. So, at age 14, Ed had enough of his mother and he ran off to find his dad in Southern California. He always respected his dad and thought of him as kind of like a John Wayne type. John Wayne, not John Wayne Casey type of character. Um, He thought life would be significantly better with his dad. I think a lot Uh, of boys around this time frame, like, looked up to John Wayne because he was, like, I don't know, this American's hero, right? Yeah, Yeah. man's man, a cowboy. And if you think, his mom is constantly, like, trying to, you know, emasculate him, right? 
and just yeah. put him down and be like, you're not man enough and blah, blah, blah and stuff. So, and he doesn't know yeah. his dad. His dad left when he was like, what was he, seven, nine? He was nine. Yeah. So. Yeah, still very young. So only like 5'11 <laughs> at that point or yeah. something. Um, so when he got to Van Ness, where his brother, his, not his brother, his dad was, he discovered that his dad had remarried and had had another son. So yeah, his brother. <laughs> yeah, so his brother. <laughs> but um, when his his dad took him in anyway, though, so um, he quickly wore out his welcome. His father is quoted as saying his personality had changed so much that I was worried about him being here with my present wife, who tried very hard to be a real friend to him. I saw him one day in a brooding mood and his eyes looked like a sleepwalker. In several talks I had with him toward the last, he seemed fascinated by death and war. Um, Tried to watch weird tales on TV, which I suppressed. Um... So in later interviews, when asked about his father, Ed said he didn't want me around because I upset his second wife before I went to Tuscadero. My presence gave her migraine headaches. When I came out, she was going to have a heart attack if I came around. Yeah. that. Well, there was like one time, I guess, that I read where she was like coming out of the shower and she had a towel and everything on and Ed was just standing in the hallway just staring at her. And she was like, trying to get around i'm like can you move and he just like wouldn't move and just staring at her so i mean this guy's like towering over her like yeah. 15 years old he's six foot five awkward t-shirt teenager with this dead stare in his eyes i'd be pretty fucking freaked out you get out of the shower and you open the door and there's shrek in the hallway oh, <laughs> like, but not friendly shrek happening. like zombie shrek. shrek yeah exactly <laughs> just boobs like, <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's like most so men. at this time <laughs> <laughs> so at this time um, Ed's dad took him to his grandparents in North Fork Madera County California exactly what you should do with your troubled child <laughs> Dude, that's what always happens Drop the grandparents the get house. dumped with them <laughs> seriously that's like the first sign oh you got knocked up at 16 them drop him off at grandma's house <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> So the grandparents were Ed Sr., a World War I veteran farmer, and his wife, Maud Matilda. Um, so they took in um, Ed in December of 1963. Apparently. Ed was 15 years old. They went out there for Christmas and mm-hmm. just left Ed. Like, they're just like, yeah, so uh, we're leaving Ed. <laughs> Here's all this better off, Better off Ed. Yeah. This is all the sitcom. So... <laughs> Um, Ed did not like living with his grandparents, um, even though he admired his grandfather. Um, he talked when he talked about his grandpa. He said, "Well, I heard stories, and when he, you know, his grandfather was younger, he was a pretty fierce guy. He was an original cowboy. He carried a forty-five on his hip. He was a tough guy wrangler. And my father had told me that he backhanded him clear across the kitchen one night when he got, I guess, smart with him. Um, he likes that, but." Uh masculine like man in charge thing you know yeah yeah i could see after being just domineered by his mom his whole life so Mm -hmm. yep um he did not like his grandmother though surprise surprise (laughs) um she was strong and domineering and reminded him of his mother ed said of her uh, she had placed herself in a position of being in essence my warden and she said if you ever want to go live with your father again you had better do what i say um so i mean from a very young age he had a problem with women yeah and we have to think Um, too that this account is coming from ed so i'm sure that some of this is a little bit skewed i'm not saying his mom wasn't abusive i definitely think that but as far as his grandparents Mm -hmm. we don't know i mean maybe they were maybe his grandma was a little bit of a bitch but yeah i could also see her saying something like you know you want to go live with your dad again so like some tough love. let's just do what i say and then we'll get you to that point and or they're, something like they're that. older generation i mean yeah and if his dad if his grandpa was kind of like that cowboy kind of stuff i could just see tough love you know like oh yeah you talk to your grandma the way i'm gonna smack you on the face you know or something like that mm-hmm. so but Ed yep. probably didn't like being told what to do by anyone so mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, his grandpa bought him a twenty-two and taught him how to shoot it. Perfect. Kemper spent, what was that? Is it perfect? All right, let's give this six, five 
giant baby again. Yeah. So, um, Kepler spent hours in the bushes shooting at birds, gophers, and other small animals to annoy his grandmother, who didn't want him killing the animals. His grandmother was not a fan of shooting animals just for the sake of shooting them. Um, his grandpa eventually made Ed give him the gun at the request of the grandmother, and this only made his anger grow more towards her. Um, Edward called seeing her carrying it in her purse when she left the house because she didn't trust him not to play with it while she was gone. Yeah, he, in one of his interviews, he, like, quoted, like, yeah, that bitch didn't trust me. I was like, <laughs> she had a reason. Yeah. <laughs> and here's the reason why. So, yeah. on August 27th, <laughs> 1964, Ed is 15 years old here, Ed's grandpa is out getting groceries. Now, they live in a, um a rural area of Madeira in California. So they're out kind of, you know, that was one thing I guess Ed didn't like about being out there was he felt isolated out there, which I'm just like, isn't that what you need in life though? But uh, his grandpa's out getting groceries out in town and Ed's grandmother is sitting at the kitchen table writing a short story for Boy's Life magazine. Apparently that's something she did. And I'm going to read an excerpt here from Ed's later confession about this event. Uh, murder? Crime? I don't know. Uh, special occasion? Special occasion. Oh. Oh, God. So, Ed was sitting at the kitchen table with her, and they started to argue after he stared at her with a horrifying expression she had observed before. Enraged after the argument, Ed stormed off and retrieved the confiscated twenty-two rifle that his grandfather had given him, and he decided to go rabbit hunting and went outside to fetch the dog Anka on the porch. The grandmother uttered her last words, you better not be shooting the birds again. And I guess that just pissed him off. And he stopped to look through the screen window and he had fantasized about killing her before. And she was facing away from him. And he just raised his rifle at the back of her head and fired through the screen and shot her in the back of the head. Maud immediately slumped forward on the table where she had been typing. He shot her twice more in the head and once in the... Or he shot her, I'm sorry, once more in the head and once more in the back. So a total of three times. Then he wrapped her head in a towel and he dragged her body to the bedroom. He went to get a knife and he stabbed her three times so hard that the knife bent double. He said, quote, I didn't think she was dead and I didn't want her to suffer any longer. Personally, I feel like he's just saying that because he knows he's supposed to say something like that because he, I don't think he actually knows how to register feelings really like that. And he obviously did not like his grandma at all. So I don't feel Mm -hmm. like suffering was something on his mind. And he, I mean, he went overboard. She's definitely dead. Like he shot her three times. She's definitely dead. So yeah. Then Ed patiently waited for his grandfather to return home. When his 72-year-old grandpa returned home, he was unloading groceries from the back of his truck, and Ed, who claims that he didn't want his grandpa to see his dead wife and suffer, walks up behind his grandpa and shoots him in the back of the head from behind. He then drags his grandpa's body to the garage, and he calls his mom. So, again, he says later, you know, I didn't want my grandpa to see his dead wife and, and be in pain, so I just figured... I would just put him out of his misery before it even happened. I kind of somewhat believe this just because he seemed to have an admiration for his grandpa, but I also don't, I also think he knows that he, this is what you say, like when you do something like this, I don't know. I mean, he's learned how to hunt uh, animals from his grandpa and stuff like that, so I'm sure his grandpa has said things like, oh, we want to shoot him quick to put him out from suffering anymore. So he's learned that this is something people are supposed to say or do or feel or think so yeah and i mean also to avoid just getting you know in trouble and um i don't i also don't think since he did care about his grandpa he didn't want his grandpa to think badly about him yeah so i think it's just i think it's a little bit like true but also he also (laughs) knows this is what you're supposed to say so yeah so he calls his mom and he tells his mom what he's done and apparently his mom is just like kind of like solid coming apparently and she's just like you need to call the police you need to turn yourself in like there's nothing else you can do you can't run you can't go anywhere you need to do that so he agrees with her so he hangs up and he calls the police and turns himself in um 
Deputy Herring arrives to the scene to find Ed Kemper, a giant 15-year-old boy, sitting outside, patiently waiting. Imagine, like, he get the call and say, oh, this 15-year-old kid killed his grandparents. Yeah. <laughs> you see this behemoth. You're like, <laughs> so, I'm sorry, you said 15? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Ed was tried as a juvenile and was brought into the California Youth Authority and underwent a bunch of tests to see what was going on. They determined that he had paranoid schizophrenia, but also a very high IQ. Um, So at this time, it was determined to be 136, and then later testing determined his IQ to be 145. Um, So he was then sent to a Tuscadero State Hospital, um, which was a maximum security facility for convicts who were mentally ill. At the state hospital, psychiatrists disagreed with Ed's original diagnosis. Um, They didn't think that he was actually suffered from paranoid schizophrenia because his thoughts seemed like they were too orderly. Um, They instead said that he had a passive-aggressive type personality trait disturbance, (laughs) which characterized someone as stubborn and prone to procrastination, which is same. Someone who doesn't like Um, to be told what to do, if I'm (laughs) correct, right? Yeah. 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 Um, But I did read, actually, that... um, whatever the United States mental health group overall theme, whatever it's called, they actually don't use this as a um, mental illness factor anymore. Yeah. Um, But Ed was seen as a model prisoner and was even allowed to administer psychiatric tests to other prisoners. (laughs) Um, Just just like the blind leading the blind. Yeah. Right? Like, let's get this guy who's in here at a psychiatric hospital to give psychiatric tests. I know. Well, I mean, I think... I think this is the most structure this kid has had in his entire life. So yeah. he's probably excelling at it. I mm-hmm. mean, is he also soaking up everything like a sponge? Yes. But he's yep. also given structure. He's given tasks. He knows how to do it. He's gotten really good at it. And as far as his IQ test goes, he's like, okay, I know how to do this. So they're like, okay. Yeah. Let's have him no, give very IQ smart. tests and stuff. So. Um, yeah, so while he was here, he was seen, you know, as like a really hard worker and employees later said that they didn't, that he didn't seem to have sociopath behaviors and that they were actually surprised later when stuff came out about him. Um, so Ed also became a member of the hospital's JCs, which <laughs> you remember was the group that John Lane Gacy was very active in. Um, uh, I really think somebody needs to look at this group. <laughs> I don't want to say anything because I'm part of a young uh, professionals group, so... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, this JC's he was really proud of, and I read that he had a, like a little pin um, that he was given for being a club member, and he was so proud of it. And then, like later when he was sentenced, he gave up the pin, and he was like really sad about it. Like he gave it to someone and like looked at it all like sad, and was like, "I want you to have this." Like it was something <laughs> he was really proud of. So <laughs> that kid right. needed to be like. In the facility probably his whole life and just be structured. And yeah. he probably, probably would have been good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he obviously wouldn't have killed anybody else. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in later interviews, Ed said that being allowed to administer these tests, these psych tests, taught him how to trick his psychiatrist because he figured out what they're looking for. So he kind of figured out what he needed to say. He also said that he learned several tips from sex offenders at the state hospital and that some of them told him that if he wanted to rape a woman, he had better kill her afterwards to avoid getting caught, which is terrible, but, um, yeah. yeah. I'm telling the teenager. Oh, I know. Gosh. <laughs> too. It's also yeah. just kind of crazy to me that they would even have a teenage boy in the same facility as grown-ass men that... Yeah, that was also... Like, he should be with people his own age. I don't know. Yeah. So, he was released on parole on his 21st birthday, December 18th, 1969. His psychiatrist recommended that he not be released into his mother's care because they identified her as an aggravator to him and his situation. But, of course... He, that's where he went. He ended up in her, this time she had moved from Montana to Aptos, California, which is in the Santa Cruz area, at her apartment of 609A Ord Street. And on November 29th, 1972, his records were permanently expunged because of his probation. Um, Psychiatrists believe that he was reformed and brand new and just a pure example (laughs) of a change and everything so yeah and that's where we're going to 
end part one. So before we get to the really gruesome things and such. Mm-hmm. This is just the intro to him. Um, and obviously his life of problems. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, crazy definitely stuff. some crazy factors uh, in his childhood that affected where we're going to end up going with this uh, next week. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned. But yep. yeah. But anyways, happy one year, guys. Yes. Happy one year. We have the shop open for pre-order. Yep. You can get a special October prize first, if you're the that's first five. Crimesandcocktails.bigcartel.com. Be sure to check that Keep out. Keep an eye out it's for also our giveaway. in our link tree on our Instagram, yes. which is Crimes and Cocktails. And if you're not a patron, you can be a patron at patreon.com slash crimes and cocktails. Follow us on mm-hmm. Twitter. But that one, I think, is Cocktails Crimes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just look up Crimes and Cocktails. You will find us. Yes. So, and you can follow Katie on Instagram at Grays and Stripes. And me, you can follow me at Tabitha.Ray. And, you know... We will keep it spooky for you for this next month. We've got some other couple Halloween fun things coming up. Yep. And tomorrow, um, Katie and I get to go see our favorite podcasters, which we're pretty excited yes, about. So In Oakland. So Last we're gonna... podcast on the left. Whoop, whoop. Yes. <laughs> a little podcast called Last Podcast. Just a little left. podcast. Just, you so, know. Um, yeah. yeah, we're going to see them live. Yeah. Um, uh, ben Kissel, I will find a way to touch you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't hear that. So too. weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. But anyways, um, watch I will out find for every six- bar. <laughs> Where's the redheaded giant at? <laughs> oh my gosh. I just. I love Ben Kissel so much. Like I just want to give him a hug, you just and not in like kiss a. Him? <laughs> No, not like that. He just, he's so funny, and he just is like a friendly giant type guy, <laughs> I feel like. And I love how much he loves his tiny little dogs. Like, I just feel like he can't be a bad guy because he loves his tiny little dogs. So. It's probably true. <laughs> yes. I feel, anyway. like be, I feel like it'd be fun to get drunk with him and Henry, personally, and be like, that'd be fun. Henry, like... He's Henry hyper. sometimes is too much for me. <laughs> but that's like, what you need I love there Henry to like kind of level to him balance out. it out. Yeah, I love Henry, and he probably makes me laugh the hardest out of all of them. But sometimes I'm just like, whoa. Actually, to be honest, <laughs> when I listen to mouth? like their sideshows, sometimes I'm a little bit like, this is too much ADHD. So Marcus, I think, yeah. is actually the one that balances them all out. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> but we're excited to see them, and this will be our first time yeah. actually seeing podcasters live, so that's something, yeah. I don't know, kind of cool. It's kind of an interesting, mm-hmm. it's interesting to me, like, how crazy podcasts have blown up in the last few years. Like, yeah, they, like, they were not popular when we were like younger at all, so. <laughs> but yeah. talk radio or something, or, I don't know. yeah. But or politics. Yeah, That's but all I think fun. about. Is like when I was a kid, when I hear talk radio, it was just yeah. like Rush Limbaugh or something like that. And I'm like, no, now we're yeah, talking about true politics crime. <laughs> or like a sermon. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, I definitely remember those. But yeah, so we'll have fun this weekend out in Oakland, and we hope you guys have a wonderful weekend and get your mm-hmm. October swag out tomorrow. And we will yep. catch you on the flip side. Watch out for six, five, fifteen-year-olds. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>